What's up, everybody? This is Fred Ricciani of TSC News. On this week's episode on MNN, we chat with not one, but two people who are making a major contribution to their respective communities, especially right here in the New York area. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. First up, Lara Land of Land Yoga and one of the founders of the upcoming event, Soul Fest NYC. Lara Land of Land Yoga here to tell us about Soul Fest NYC and everything she's got going on. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for, for joining us. Now, Soul Fest NYC is coming up in a few days for any yogis out there or prospective yogis that may be interested. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. It is a completely free festival. Um, on 125th Street in New York City, Harlem. And um, the idea is really to make yoga and wellness accessible um, and to show the diversity that exists within the yoga community. Um, and anyone can come. If you never practiced yoga before, it's a great opportunity to do your first pose. Um, it's a very open space. You don't need anything. And um, we're just there to introduce this beautiful practice to as many people as we can. And from what I understand, you're one of the founders of this event. Uh, how did this come about? Was was there uh, some type of, of need you felt like this was needed in the community where you said, you know what, like the yoga community is okay here, but it can grow a lot more? Yeah. Um, I'm one of the founders. I have a yoga studio, Land Yoga, in Harlem for eight years. And um, it's kind of something that I wanted to do to branch out of that. I, I also saw that even with the studio here in Harlem, there's a lot of people that are maybe nervous to walk into a yoga studio. Um, we also saw the, the festivals that are out there right now. Um, as far as yoga and wellness, they can feel very exclusive. They're often really far from the center of the city. Um, they're often very expensive. Um, so there are a lot of reasons that people can't um, attend them. And we wanted to break those barriers. And when it comes to breaking those barriers, I mean, yoga in a lot of ways is similar to kind of martial arts. A lot of people say, oh, I'd like to train like in some type of martial art or something in the gym or some type of fitness. And you, you don't know where to start sometimes, right? Like, okay, do I do karate? Do I do uh, yoga? Do I, do I do CrossFit or, any, or anything else? When it comes to the specific forms of yoga, how, mm. how can a person kind of figure out what's best for them? Well, actually, what's nice about the festival is we have classes running all day and all different kinds of yoga. It's such a good point. And there are many different styles. Some are um, more fast paced, some are longer staying in the pose. Um, some have more music, some are more focused on breathing. So the festival is a great chance to come out and kind of dip your toes into different styles and see which one is a good fit for you and your personality. How did yoga come into your life? When, when did you say, you know what, I want to make this my career? I, uh, I studied theater at Boston University and used to do yoga as a kind of warm-up for the acting uh, before he got on stage. And I just loved it so much that slowly by slowly, it became more of my focus than acting. Um, and eventually, I took uh, my first trip to India. And after that, I was completely hooked on the yoga lifestyle. Was there a specific form of yoga that, that really kind of encapsulated like, wow, this is the lifestyle I want to live? Yeah, I'm an Ashtanga yoga practitioner. Uh, I like the style. It uses a set sequence of poses. Um, it's very dynamic, challenging, um, which helps me to calm my mind. And uh, that's been my practice for 20 years now. Wow, that's, a, that, that's incredible. And you said you've been in Harlem now for eight years with the yoga studio? Yeah, I've been living here over a decade, and I opened my studio eight years ago. We just had our uh, eight-year anniversary. Wow, that's, well, congratulations. 
Thank you. So this is Manhattan Neighborhood Network, of course. We're all about New York. What's your favorite part about Harlem? Oh, my gosh. Um, I mean, I, I have to say the, the mix of people here. Um, it's just it's a wonderful, um, creative, vibrant neighborhood with uh, just such interesting people. Um, the small business community, which I've been a part of, obviously, for the last eight years, and it has been so welcoming and collaborative. Um, I think it's a really creative community, and I thrive in that. That's great. Now, what, what's a day in the life like uh, of Laura Land what, as far as being a yoga instructor and mentoring people? Well, um, I just had a baby, so the day in the life has changed quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, <after> that too. <laughs> starts with some diaper changes. <laughs> um, but uh, very early to rise, um, usually before uh, 6 in the morning, the studio opens at 6. Um, and I'll, I will go in and teach. Um, we have all different kinds of students there, all different ages, abilities, sizes. Um, so it's very individualized instruction. Um, everyone actually moves at their own pace. You don't have to keep up with the group, which is really nice. Um, and then, yeah, I'll do some, um, I do some coaching, uh, coaching clients, um, coaching people through life transitions, career transitions. So I might take a coaching call, um, whip up salad, <laughs> do a little yoga practice myself, um, or some fitness in the park. I really like to go to Morningside Park or Central Park. Um, so we're so lucky in Harlem to be surrounded by parks. Um, so I try to get a good amount of outside time. Um, and then I'm running my nonprofit as well. Um, so my day is full and very mixed with a lot of different activities. So I'm a executive director of Three and a Half Acres Yoga which is a nonprofit that's um, bringing yoga um, to some underserved populations here in Harlem and upper Manhattan. So basically what we do is we partner with other nonprofits that are offering services to add yoga, breathing, meditation, and mindfulness to what they're offering their clients. We work with the food bank, uh, Children's Aid Society. We work with um, Women's Shelter, Harlem Hospital, many organizations up here. Also, so certainly impacting the community. And you're looking to definitely impact the community and the world record books. Can you tell us about <laughs> what world record you guys are trying to break at SoulFest? Yes, we're trying to break the world record for the most people in Warrior One pose at the same time. So um, we will be starting that world record attempt at 1130 um, at the day of the festival, the 13th, with some instruction in multiple languages. So we'll have instruction in English and Spanish, um, I believe Korean, sign language, um, really, again, um, living up to the inclusivity that we, that we want this event to be. Um, and then at uh, noon, exactly, we will attempt to break this world record. So we need everyone to be there. Um, and uh, it should be really a lot of fun. After our attempt, we will have some, uh, a female drum band will be playing, and it just should be a really, really glorious time. That's awesome. Do you know what the current world record is? Uh, the last I checked, it was 387. Wow. Yeah. That, 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 that's incredible. And how many, as far as the turnout here, this is going to be, is this the third Soul Fest or the fourth Soul Fest? Yeah, it's the third Soul Fest. Third Soul Fest. How, how have you seen the turnout the last couple of years from year one to two and how it's changed? And as far as anticipating the, the crowd for this event? Well, it has grown every year and we have seen over a thousand people come through the festival every year. 
Um, and the, uh, the goal this year is to get them there all at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> that, that makes sense. Well, we're definitely looking forward to SoulFest NYC. Before we let you go, where can people find you and SoulFest online? Yeah, great. Um, well, I'm Lara Land. You can find me at laraland.us for uh, information on goal setting and um, self-improvement. Um, I also have uh, Land Yoga um, and SoulFest NYC. You can find online and all those SoulFest NYC is our tag everywhere. So if you take a look for that, you'll see everything going on. We have uh, um, activities for kids. Um, we have chair yoga. We have meditation. There's something for everyone. You can just make your way to Harlem July 13th, 163 West 125th Street, Adam Clayton Powell State Office Building. That's right, 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. I'll be kicking it off at 9 a.m. if you want to take my class. Excellent, excellent. Thanks so much, Laura. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Next up, Sam Sasakti of UsTrendy.com and the Believe in Yourself charity. What have you and Believe in Yourself got going on, especially during prom and homecoming season? Yeah, so um, so Believe in Yourself is, is my nonprofit. And what we do is we give low-income kids um, brand-new dresses for special occasions. We actually do it all year round, but it tends that um, you know in the springtime – you know, they have so many things coming up. So um, we're doing a lot of donations right now. We just got finished in Texas. Um, we're headed to New York. And uh, what we do is we give out um, dresses for whether it be graduation, prom, spring flings. And um, we give all the girls uh, their first dress based off need. And then we actually have all the girls set a goal for their school year upcoming. Um, and if they achieve those goals, we'll actually provide them with more dresses. So it's an incentive-based um, dress donation program. That's amazing. And before that, you, you were known as so are known as the founder of Us Trendy, which is mm -hmm. you know, one of the biggest independent websites out there for, for clothing and everything. And you do not have a background in, in fashion necessarily. You know, it's just yeah. kind of an idea that, that came about and through you know, a lot of hard work and, and perseverance and, and making the right moves. Uh, you got to the point where you became an entrepreneur and are now giving back to you, the community. So I guess right. let's go back for a second to mm -hmm. young Sam or younger Sam. You're, you're still young. You know, what led, what led to you waking up one day and saying, you know what, I, I want to get into the e-commerce business? Yeah, so um, I actually was at Brandeis University. Um, I, was, I was studying finance um, and economics, and I thought I wanted to work on Wall Street. And I remember um, I took an internship that summer going in. I didn't like it, but I figured, you know, it was because I was an intern, and I figured once I get there, it'll be different. Um, so I, I ended up taking this job. And after four days, I, I was so miserable. I, I was like, I can't, I can't see myself, you know, sitting in a cube and putting numbers in a spreadsheet. And, and, and you know, this just isn't for me. So I remember having a conversation with my father the morning before I was heading into into work that day. And he told me, you know, follow your heart. So that day, I handed in my resignation letter um, to this company. They didn't even believe I resigned. Actually, I thought I was joking. It was, so it was pretty awkward when they finally realized that I was serious. Um, I, I didn't know if they were going to let me get out of the building alive. Um, so, uh, so from there, I remember going to my father saying, Hey, I just resigned. And he was like, I didn't think you were going to resign. You know, I thought, you, you know, follow your heart, but you, what's your backup plan? What are you going to do? And I didn't have answers to any of those questions, but I just knew that, um, you know, I want to make my own path and I wanted to, to build something meaningful. Um, and I wanted to kind of make an impact and I didn't necessarily see like that nine to five, um, path, you know, something viable that, that I really could commit to and believe in, in that, you know, and in that company. So I, uh, I ended up going to Las Vegas actually, um, to get out of town. And I met up with my friend who was a fashion designer 
And he was telling me how hard it was for him to get his clothing out there and his design. So I thought, hey, that's kind of a cool concept. Why don't I build a website for independent fashion designers such as him to sell their clothes? And that's really how um, the whole idea came together. And this was in 2008, actually. Wow. Okay. So you decide to put this website together. Obviously, you need some infrastructure and everything else. <laughs> I mean, the internet's obviously evolved and it was pretty evolved back then. But you know, yeah. still, you know, there wasn't a, a Fashion Nova. There wasn't a Us Trendy or, or anything yeah. like that at the time. There wasn't a blueprint necessarily for you to follow. So how'd you start in, in, as far as getting the steps together, getting that blueprint together, and ultimately making Us Trendy live? Yeah, so uh, it, it was kind of interesting. I, I don't recommend um, – I mean, I, whenever I talk to entrepreneurs, I always say, like, there's two types of kind of um, analysis that goes into jumping into a market. The first is, like, doing competitor analysis, seeing, you know, who's out there. And then, then there's like the over analysis. So I was the one extreme where I like, I honestly like didn't do much competitive research. I just thought, hey, this is a cool concept. Why don't I, why don't I attack this? But oftentimes I do see a lot of entrepreneurs that will do over analysis. And honestly, like it doesn't really matter what kind of business you're doing. There's someone out there that's doing something similar. So at the time there actually, there was Etsy. Um, it was geared more towards artists. And it was funny because like about like five or six months in, I remember meeting with an investor and pitching the S Trendy concept. And he was like, oh, it's kind of like Etsy. And I, I remember thinking like at the time, I'm like, what is Etsy? Damn, I need to like look look this up. I look it up. I'm like, oh, okay. They're kind of doing what I'm doing. So um, it was kind of one of those things where um, I tell entrepreneurs all the time that like even with the fundraising process, if you could find someone that's doing something kind of similar to what you want to do, but then kind of um, modify it. Um, it's easier for um, uh, investors to understand you as an entrepreneur because you could be like, hey, we're like Etsy, only we're for independent fashion designers. We're also going to fund clothing lines. We're going to put them into runway shows, and it's going to be more of kind of like a 360 approach. So something that, that they could understand, and you could also point to the success of, of, of like an Etsy and say, hey, you know, they've been able to do this model like this. And you could also learn from their mistakes and things like that. So I was fortunate in that there was something in terms of like a marketplace for, you know, um, independent type artists um, out there. And I was able to kind of reference that a little bit and kind of model my system after that. But there really wasn't a whole lot of e-commerce, you know, um, you know, turnkey kind of options like there is now, you know, with the Shopify and all these other things. So um, it was, there was really a market pain there for, for these independent designers. And a lot of them were new to the internet. I mean, they'd been managing a brick and mortar for 20 years. So the thought of going online and everything else was, was just so daunting for them. So um, you know, fortunately, we were able to come in at, at the right time with that. So you're essentially able to kind of make their lives easier. You know, put them right. at ease and say, "Hey, you got this clothing. You want to get it out there? We have the, we have the platform." And 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 when it came to getting getting designers, when you when you first actually launched the site, when it was live mm -hmm. and it was ready to go, how many designers were you guys working with? So it was my friend initially, and then <laughs> we started getting them. But it was funny because I started going on to college campuses that had design programs and like literally handing out flyers. And I was like being escorted off these campuses for soliciting. So that was like my initial marketing approach. It was like, hey, I'm gonna like go onto these college campuses, like you know, like RISD, and just like hand out flyers. And, and like people are like, who is this guy? Like you know, I mean, luckily I was a, young enough to maybe be a student. But once they figured out what I was doing, I was getting thrown off. So um, what I thought was, you know, how do I create an incentive? Because at the time, I, I knew at the end of the day, uh, the lifeblood of my business was going to be the fashion and the clothing. Um, and I knew that if I built it, they would come. So a lot of people, when they start a business, like they're, they're torn in so many different directions. Um, and, and they're trying to do everything at once. And so my thing was, why don't I just amass an amazing, you know, basically database of fashion designers? And that will be my asset. 
And I know that that's a valuable asset. So no matter what happens, you know, even if I am not able to drive a ton of visitors initially, you know, the, the visitors will come. If you build it, they'll come. So what I did was I actually partnered with London Fashion Week very, very early on. And I got them to agree to give me a independent fashion show for one of my designers. So I created this online contest for fashion designers to basically win a runway show in London Fashion Week. But the catalyst was you had to sign up for us trendy. So that right there got us, you know, thousands of designers. So within, you know, the first six to eight months, we had you know, thousands of designers on the website, many of which had come on and agreed to sell under that condition that, you know, they could potentially get a show in London. That's a hell of a way to generate leads. Yeah, yeah. It was a lot better than walking around the campuses. Yeah, that, that's kind of almost like the original like organic marketing. Like, hey, you know, we'll, we'll mm-hmm. flyers and like that. I mean, it's a little bit. I don't want to say easier now because it, there's, there's still a, a crowded space, but would yeah. you say in some ways it's easier for people to kind of promote their business and if they are aspiring entrepreneurs to get themselves out there now with Facebook ads, which I think are still kind mm-hmm. of underpriced you know, based on the market and Twitter ads and things like that because you still see a lot of these companies now that even though the internet's kind of taken over and everything, are, are spending a lot of money on TV and radio. So I feel like there's still a space on the internet. There is. I mean, it, it's, it's a tricky question because I think in some ways – like the Facebook advertising and all on all of that has become very saturated because there are a lot of people jumping into it. But in some ways, it's something that didn't exist. Um, my advice, honestly, to like entrepreneurs that are coming up that are aspiring um, is to try to create something organic in a viral way and leverage social media um, versus pay for ads because there's these big, massive companies out there that have all these resources and are going to outbid you and drive these ads up. And I, I know so many entrepreneurs that have you know come to me for advice and have said, "Hey, I have like you know I don't know ten thousand dollars to market this product. Should I put it into Facebook ads or what should I do?" And and I'm always like, you know, try to be creative with it. Don't just like create an image and run you know a CP you know just a, a massive click campaign here. But you know maybe try to use the money in a way of like targeting like. I don't know, like 25 influencers on Facebook, on Facebook or Instagram or wh- wherever your demographic is. Like, for instance, mine is on Instagram. Um, so that that would be the avenue I would take. But let's say it, your, your demographics on Facebook, you know, try to leverage something creative, try to create some kind of a contest where there's an incentive for people to connect with your brand. Um, don't just run an ad, you know, like, for instance, create a contest where people, you know, like, let's say a pizza shop, like we're going to give away like a month of. Uh, one large pizza a week to, to the winner, um, but you have to follow us on Facebook and you have to write like you know create create your own pizza like what would be your your pizza recipe and post it on our wall right and then get like 25 influencers to promote that contest for you on Facebook and then maybe you could run a couple ads with the contest but have have the ads say like win a free pizza every week right don't just have it be like hey such and such pizza restaurant, you know, like, so everything has to be incentive based and you need to try to leverage other people's following. And, and, and so I think there's an opportunity out there, but I think you, you still have to be innovative and creative or else you're going to get eaten up by, by the other companies with the big, with the big marketing budgets. Well said, that's, that's some good advice. Now, when did it come to the point where you realized, man, I've actually made it with us trendy? Uh, I get asked that a lot and there's, um, well, there's two times when I was like, okay, the, the first was when I got the first million dollar investment of seed funding from Drape, from Tim Draper. Um, I had actually been rejected by 150 venture capitalists before getting that funding. And, um, I was in Silicon Valley and, and there's like this weird kind of concept there where it's like, if you don't have venture capital funding, um, it's like, 
at least in the circle I was in, it was like almost like you're not born yet. So it was like it was like getting into college or something, you know, out there. It was like every time you talk to somebody, they'd be like, "Are you VC backed?" And it was like one of those things where I was like, "Man!" So finally, when I got Tim Draper, um, who's like a very very well known venture capitalist who had done like Skype and Tesla and. Um, you know, it was, it was a big deal, um, for me. So I, I didn't necessarily think I had made it, but I think, okay, I had, I had accomplished something and I was in a different, you know, kind of spe- stratosphere now to where, you know, my life is in world is, is different now. Like even no matter what happens, I'm still, still known as, as an entrepreneur that was able to raise from a blue chip investor. And then from there, um, the next time I felt like, we had made it was when I was getting emails from designers talking about how I provided them with all this income and revenue that they can now, you know, do things with their family for, or that they were able to like mortgage a house or things like that. And that, and that, in that way, I felt like I made it in terms of like, I was able to really create value for people and, and make their lives better um, through my business. And, and that's like the dream of any entrepreneur is, is to create value and to create something that, you know, can help people and, and, and make their lives better. So that was, that was the other time. And then obviously the third time is when you break even and you're no longer in red and you, and you don't need um, outside investment to continue to go. I mean, and, and that you're able to be self-sufficient. So those were the three um, proof points for me. You decided, of course, to transition to philanthropy with yeah. Believe in Yourself. Why was this the right time, the last couple of years, the right time to get into philanthropy and give back in a different way and a bigger level? Right. So um, it was something I, I, I always wanted to do. You know, like I, I, even my business itself in some ways was like kind of not it wasn't philanthropic, but in any, you know, but, you know, we were for profit. But but in terms of like trying to help the underdog and help the designer to break through the ceiling, um, a lot of these designers were struggling to try to to try to make it to, to survive and, and and have an income for themselves. So. Um, you know, even my business itself, I was always trying to like, how do I help the underdog? How do I, um, you know, give them a platform? So it was something I, I was always interested in doing. Um, and in operating this marketplace, we had 20,000 designers and we used to get these samples and I, I would actually give them to celebrities. And then I, I stopped doing that and started going to low income areas about six or seven years ago and giving out the dresses. And I just saw how appreciative, um, these kids were to have a new item. Some of them said they've never had one. So I thought, um, two years ago, I thought, Hey, this is kind of a cool concept to where I could give out these brand new dresses. Um, I've, I've been personally, was personally out of pocket. Um, and then I didn't want to just kind of give someone a hand me out. Um, cause I felt like, you know, I know in, in life and in my story, you know, I, I, I had a tough road to, to get there and, and, and I know like along every turn there was an obstacle and I don't remember ever getting a hand me out. So I, I wanted the cherry to, to kind of speak to that. So that's why I give the first dress based off need, but then I tell all of them, um, whatever your dream is, I want you to set a short-term goal that's going to help you get there. And if you do achieve that short-term goal, then I'm going to give you two more dresses towards achieving it. Um, so it's this incentive-based kind of program, and it's and it's continued to evolve. Um, you know, so then we started bringing in speakers and mentors to kind of talk to the kids throughout their school year to kind of push push them. Um, a lot of these kids, have, you know, for instance, like let's say this kid wants to be an Olympic athlete. Well, they've never, if they've never come across an Olympic athlete, that might seem like something that's so daunting. But I'll actually go out and find an Olympic athlete and bring them in and have them speak to the kid and humanize these professions. And actually, the, the next thing I want to talk about is, is actually we're in the process of adjusting the charity even more, which is in addition to giving dresses, we're going to expand to boys and give formal clothing for them. But we also want to start another program where we start actually giving specific items 
that are kind of correlated to what their goal is. So if they're a musician, we'll actually provide them with a musical instrument and potentially uh, lessons as well. So I want to just continue to take this further. We haven't launched that that third um, aspect yet, but that's really where I'm going with it is that I want to actually give more than an item of clothing, but give funding towards facilitating um, their dream. What's a day in the life like of Sam? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel blessed that, I, that I'm able to, you know, I make my own schedule, so, so it's great. So um, I, I work late. Um, I work late hours, so um, I tend to function better at night. So um, I, I usually, what I do is um, I'll work sometimes three, four in the morning. Um, I wake up. Um, I always like to work out. I always tell everybody it's like the most important thing is, is, is to just is, is to work out. You're going to go crazy as an entrepreneur if, 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 you, if you don't. So um, the first thing I do is uh, w- wake up, work out, and then I, then I start my day. Um, sometimes I'll go to the office. Sometimes I'll, I'll work from home. Um, and I'm usually like creating new innovative strategies for us trendy. Um, I spend some of my time managing and, and advising other startups. I spend time doing kind of like media and interviews for, for the business. Um, and then I spend a lot of time setting up donations and uh, visiting different cities and doing philanthropy. But it, it's great because, you know, now I'm able to manage like my team for us, from us trying to manage the Believe in Shelf people all remotely. Um, so, yeah, no, I mean, it, it's great. I mean, th- this was not what I had imagined. And, and I, I feel very, very <laughs> blessed that I was able to do it. And, and, I, and I think my favorite part of being an entrepreneur is without question um, the autonomy over my schedule. Is there any, is there ever any like fear at all that, you know, the market's always changing, right? Yeah. The industry always changing. Is there any fear that one day you could wake up and it's like, like, for example, like there's been YouTubers that are yeah. super famous and then YouTube changes the algorithm and like, and they like say, holy crap, oh, yeah. you know, like half, half their following's gone. Do you ever have that kind of fear? And, and if you yeah. do, like, what have you done to kind of have, I don't want to say like a backup plan, but mm-hmm. to continue to allow yourself to, you know, create income and opportunities for yourself and others. Yeah, I mean, that's an excellent point. So this has actually happened to me about like 10 times already. <laughs> um, and the first time it happened, it was so scary, like um, multiple times. Like, um, So I, I would ride all these uh, marketing channels, right? So like for a long time, I was, I was like riding like Google Shopping. And um, at one point, 40% of my revenue was coming from Google Shopping. And, and it was free back when I was free. Overnight, they flipped it and monetized it. And I lost 40% of my revenue overnight. And I was freaking out. That same exact thing has happened to me ten times. Um, so the so the thing is, is that I, I never am comfortable. Um, anytime I start to get comfortable, I actually get worried because I'm like, okay, something bad is going to happen. Whenever things are going too good, right? So um, so many times, like so. The one thing I try to always do is try to always diversify um, my marketing channels and, and the funnels that are driving business to me. The second thing I always try to do is constantly innovate and change the business. And I'm actually, I can't talk about it right now, but I'm making quite a big adjustment um, to us trendy um, through a retail um, app, as well as kind of on-site functionality that I think is really gonna be game-changing. And so I'm actually in the process now of building that and launching it. So um, I would say too, is always diversifying my marketing um, and, and how I find and capture customers. And two is always innovating the concept. I mean, us trendy actually started, not a lot of people know this. It started off as a website for designers to post their clothes and then people would vote on it. And then we produce the top rated clothes it, from that. It turned into an open marketplace and now I'm actually going to evolve it again. Um, in the, in the coming year, I hope people are taking notes or they're listening. So that's a lot of really good advice <laughs> and, and, and rich nuggets for me. Really do appreciate that. Sam, I, I really appreciate the time, man. Before we let you go, where can people find you and all your businesses and believe in yourself online? Yeah, so um, the website is believeinyourself.org. If you're out there and um, you're interested in, in getting a dress, 
um, joining the program, being a mentor, donating, and we're a 501c3 um, charity as well. So we have the tax exemption. Um, you can find me, you know, obviously Sam Sasaki is my name, um, my Instagram and handle and all that. And then um, my uh, for-profit business is, is us trendy.com, um, U-S-T-R-N-D-Y.com. Um,